This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Hmm. Welcome to Transylvania. We're very happy that you're here. So glad you're here. Oh, welcome to Transylvania. We greet you with a mighty cheer. Kaluznik! We're considered both a death and a tourist trap. Thanks to all the Frankensteins, you put us on the map. So welcome to Transylvania. Though vampires suck your blood at night and werewolves crawl in the pale moonlight, and zombies have a tendency to roam, it's the place place we humbly call home, 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 home. Transylvania! We've been the pride of Romania since 1201. Passed on for generations, father to son. Descended from gypsies, as proud as we can be. Don't risk my curse, it could be worse. Embrace your family tree. Join the family business. Learn the family trade. Make yourself a monster. Make the world afraid. Join the family business. You must take the family name. Follow in our footsteps and you'll win eternal fame. The Roquefort's are celebrated for their Roquefort cheese. The Rothschilds are famous for their wines. Hershey's have their chocolates and Lipton's have their teas. When it comes to making monsters, you can't beat the Frankensteins. Join the family business, rob a grave or two. Stop the shop from closing, it all depends on you. Uphold the family honor, you must toe the family line. Join the family business, join the family business, join the family business, for your name is Frankenstein. Meet your family! Great-great-grandfather Mordecai Join the family business, boy, if you don't want to die As you know, predestination from the day of your creation Has determined your vocation, that's a fact Because you are a Frankenstein You have no choice, you can't decline Show some spice It's time to sign the family pact This is your fate Become a Frankenstein before it's too late We know you won't regret it You should express your willingness just relax and make a serum Come up with a brilliant theorem Take your night, create a life It ain't no fuss
be prudent, best be wise. Time to open up your eyes. Join the family business. Join the family enterprise. Best be prudent, best be wise. Time to open up your eyes. Welcome backstage where we nerd out about theatre, bring you all of the updates that we know of, and just generally talk about theatre-related things. Now, if you're a regular here, please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, your friends are our friends as well, so tell them. We'd also love to reach as far and as wide as possible so that more people get to know what we're on about. If you are a returning friend, well, thank you very much for joining us once again. Good to see you. Last week, our musical of the week was Into the Woods. Not one of Mel's favourites, but we did it anyway, (laughs) and it was also Tawiku Otoro Māori, so we brought you a little bit of what we know about Māori theatre. Yeah, we say a little bit because it's, to be honest, not as much as we would potentially like it to be, so we're always looking to be educated. Tell us what you know as well. Uh, this week on the... Very menu, happy to revisit that in the future. I think we should yeah. actually, because I think we only covered just like a little thumbnail of, of what there is. Yep. Uh, yeah, I interrupted. I, I apologise. No, yeah. Go. Jeez, Mike. <laughs> Jumped my cue. Um... This week on the menu is Mel Brooks's musical Young Frankenstein. By all accounts, it's very well loved, and so I, I'm discovering it today. Are you discovering it today? I'm discovering it. I knew the movie really well, mm-hmm. but I've discovered the musical, and I have to say I'm, I'm really, really keen on it. I, yeah. Okay. And okay. I'll tell you, what, the critics' reactions have been mixed and all that sort of stuff, but I'll go through all of that. I'll tell you everything you need to know, and possibly even more than that, Okay. a little further down the track. The other subject we're going to talk about today, props. Mm. Now, why is it we have never, ever talked about props so far? After all of the, the subject searching that we do, what should we talk about today? Yeah. Props. Props. Way down the list. And why are they even called props to start with? How important are they? Are you sacrificing anything if you choose to go props light with your show? Are they better handmade or sourced from the real world? Well, let's cover it right now. Uh, from my be- very brief research, I can tell you that the earliest known use of the term properties in English to refer to stage accessories uh, was in the 1425 morality play The Castle of Perseverance. I don't know it at all, but I want to. The Oxford English Dictionary finds the first usage of props in 1841, while the singular form of prop appeared in 1911. Just have to say The Castle of Perseverance is such a great name for anything. Yeah, a morality look. play from 1425. I think it's great. <laughs> anyway, apparently during the Renaissance in Europe, small acting troops functioned as cooperatives, pooling their resources and dividing any income. And because of this, many performers provided their own costumes, but the special items like stage weapons, furniture or other handheld devices were considered to be company property, hence the term property. 
There is also a bit of online conjecture that suggests the term comes from the idea that stage or screen objects belong to whoever uses them on stage or screen, making the item their property. I tend not to subscribe to that so much. I think that's probably just trying to find a modern definition. I'm inclined to agree, yeah. There is also a bit of a movement that props drive plots. And the argument is that whether it's a plate of sardines and noises off or a sword and Romeo and Juliet, props give characters choices, movements and consequences. It's true that a great prop can't save a mediocre scene, uh, but it's also equally true that a bad prop can absolutely ruin a very good one. And despite that, and we've said it already, props often get last billing in the theatre. Or mentioned on podcasts. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, It's usually a massive job with very little to no thanks or recognition. So much so that it's a role that's often a bit slapdash, particularly on small-scale productions. When there is a dedicated props master, that person usually requires not just hands-on skills, including but not limited to carving, woodworking, paper mache, wiring, casting, blacksmithing, welding, crocheting, stitching... You name it, they need to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also need to be able to plan and have the know-how to prepare budgets and schedules and and do research. Plus, the props have to fit the production or any production in style, the way they read on the stage and how they function. One of the things you know is that there's going to be plenty of people who come to see a show who will say, that never really looked like that back in 1944. Are you sure that's an Mm, era-specific? That logo doesn't look right. So (laughs) the train spotters are out there and you've got to... got to cater for them as well and how different would stage history be without Desdemona's handkerchief Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these uncredited accomplices are basically a vital part of the theatre experience no question about that there is a 2012 fringe play by the UK playwright Nassim Solimanpour called White Rabbit Red Rabbit in this a new actor fresh to the script each night walks on stage with a small glass vial And during the course of the play, its contents are emptied by an audience member into one of two glasses of water, which the actor will soon be asked to choose between and drink. Someone from the theatre venue has been asked to fill the vial with poison, the audience is told. In the case of White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, this humble prop, ordered by the playwright and interacted with by the audience member, consumed by the actor, yet selected and supplied by someone whose name probably doesn't even appear in the programme, has the power to affect the whole course of the show. Since we've touched on it already, did you know and or realise that the major theatre awards include no Best Props category? I, until this moment, did not know that. Well, in most cases, props are swept in with uh, the likes of set design. Mm-hmm. But the big difference is that a prop gets used or touched. So we know that props can be magical things, talismanic, transformational, etc. And we get that Shakespeare wouldn't be Shakespeare without Desdemona's handkerchief or Macbeth's dagger for that matter. But what about the impact prop choice can have within a production? What about creative freedoms extended by the playwright to the props person that can affect the outcome of a show as well? Yeah, so when I was reading up online on what people say about props, I learned about a Polish pianist who died in 1982 of colon cancer, and he bequeathed his skull to the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, He requested that they use it as a prop in one of their shows. That skull ended up playing Yorick to David Tennant's Hamlet. According to that production's creatives, the real skull was a, quote, a profound memento mori, which 
perhaps no prop skull could quite provide. How cool is that? I had actually heard the basis of that story before, but I didn't know the detail. Yeah, it's interesting. Fantastic. Eh? So it's a real person's skull that he's holding. It's yeah. <laughs> it's given me an idea for my bequest. Despite acquiring the skull in 1982, the Royal Shakespeare Company didn't put it on stage until 2008, when the skull was taken on stage by David Tennant in a series of performances of Hamlet at the Courtyard Theatre in Stratford-upon-Avon. After the use of Tchaikovsky's skull was revealed in the press, this production of Hamlet moved to the West End. Yeah, we never named it Andre Tchaikovsky. That's the pianist that bequeathed his skull. No relation? I'm not sure. Okay. Didn't find that out. Didn't read far enough into the article. Great sense of the dramatic, anyway. It is, isn't it? I mean, it? once you've shuffled off this mortal coil, but you could still be useful. Isn't it brilliant? Mm, really great. If you're still not convinced that the prop can have, not the the prop, like the prop, uh, if you're still not <laughs> convinced that the prop can have a pronounced effect on a performance, props that have to be sourced afresh each night are an interesting opportunity to experiment. Oh my gosh, yes, that's a good point. Food is an excellent onstage challenge. Gun props that fire on stage also could weigh pretty heavily into this discussion. I've worked on shows that have uh, very minimal props, but I've also worked on shows that are very, very prop heavy. And my general preferences give us as much realism as the rest of the show can sustain. Like it, for me, if it's a very abstract kind of a show with a very minimalist set, you don't need to go so far into detail with props. But if it's a period accurate piece that requires a bit of attention to detail and the, and the set is detailed, You've got to match that. Yep. I actually quite like working with practical props that work like guns that actually go bang on stage. Actual, functional. We did that with Catch Me If You Can a few years ago, and the noise was deafening, but I walked off stage every night with ears ringing, but it was a very um, impactful moment to have those things happening on stage. When you hear somebody, you know, firing off a sound effect out through one of the speakers stage left, it's not quite quite the same appeal totally um but having said that in other more stylized types of productions that's totally acceptable yeah that's i think that's pretty much where i sit with it it depends on the show it depends on the director's vision largely um, i you think know. the director has to make the call on that don't they because they have to really strike that balance and say to the props master no i really do need proper baked beans on that plate that's right. It can't just be fake baked beans that she can't mush around with her fork that'll, yeah. that'll make a noise when she taps it. Mm. Um, no, you know, and I've done shows where you've purposely not gone with guns that can fire on stage or fake fire in the fireplace. But I've also worked on shows where the guns do go bang or there is fire on the stage. And we touched on it right at the beginning of the discussion. It comes down to the style of the show you know, and what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to function. Because I'll tell you what, an audience knows when the balance isn't right, don't they? They do. And if you're going for a a props light show, that's cool. Just do it right. Yeah, be consistent. Yeah. And that's where the absolute genius of props mastery comes in, because if props are done well, audiences and critics will almost always say nothing about them, but they will just intrinsically know that it was right. That's Well, if you don't notice it, it means it was probably good. Kind of like incidental music. That or it, it helps helps things move along, but if you notice it, it's it's not quite right. It should, yeah, yeah. It, it should only be there if it's not imposing. If they're terrible, you'll hear all about it. So props matter in a different way to any of the other artistic theatre roles in a way that is almost always underappreciated. Also, you made mention before about budgets, and that is one of the key things for people doing props in community theatre productions in this Mm -hmm. country. Often you're told you've got almost nothing to spend. You've got to raid all of the props, existing props from past productions, adapt, change, 
people's living rooms. Yeah, borrow big, still do whatever you can. And the people who are able to achieve miracles with almost no money, to me, are almost godlike in, the, in their abilities. And, the, and getting a good props person that can do that is just worth everything. Well, when you find one, you often want to use them over and over and over, and they <laughs> just get burnt out and then they disappear again, which is <laughs> bloody awful. I do know recreationally that finding someone to be in charge of props can be something like pulling teeth from a chicken. Yeah, yeah, it can be exactly like that. Uh, especially with shows that have specialised props, you know, like a bird that has to fly across the stage or a, a car that needs to fly or uh, Heather's had bombs made of sticks of dynamite that we literally had to make by hand and hope they looked alright. So props is not an easy role to take on. So if you're involved in theatre, be really nice to your props masters, people. They are working much harder than you realise and a lot of their work goes unappreciated by the audiences. Yeah, give them a nudge uh, and say so thanks. just tell them how much you appreciate the fact that they make you look good on stage. Yeah, great idea. Love comes when you least suspect it. Love dances in on a whim. I thought maybe I could direct it. But I never expected a guy like him. He was a bully and a brute. He was as crazy as a coot. Still, I didn't give a hoot. He was my boyfriend. With every woman he would flirt. He always treated me like dirt. But I was happy to be hurt. He was my boyfriend. I was as pure as a virgin meadow Lying with Victor in the gloam Then he turned to me, that charmer Whispered, let's play farmer And plowed me till the cows came home <laughs> He was a monster and a beast His midnight bangings never ceased It didn't faze me in the least he was my boyfriend I'll never forget the first time I met Victor It was on the village green At the annual Bock Beer Festival Where every beer cost a bock I was an innocent young lamb And he was a dirty old goat <laughs> We were made for each other all of a sudden, he took out his paraphernalia and shouted, Let's play croquet! And off to the field we went. He carried his hoops and mallets, and I carried his balls. Oh, what a festival! Fun and games all day long. Archery, badminton, potato sack. Victor won the three-legged race all by himself. Oh, it was love at first sight He was a one that I gave my heart to But we never went even so If I mention wedlock He put me in a headlock When I asked to be his wife He stabbed me with a kitchen knife Oh, when did the good times go? If he had an angry fit I was the first thing that he 
but I didn't give a shit. He was my boyfriend. He was my boyfriend from our musical of the week, Young Frankenstein, by the incomparable Mel Brooks. I was really hoping you were going to do that. Uh, well, to give it an accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was. He was my boyfriend. He was my boyfriend. Uh, I only know the producers by Mel Brooks also, which I actually do quite enjoy. Uh, we've talked about it before. Uh, and I know of Blazing Saddles, but I think it was a bit before my time. So you might as well give us the goods, Mike. Okay, Doug. After the success of his 2001 musical, The Producers, uh, Mel Brooks decided to create a musical based on another of his successful films, Young Frankenstein. The musical is promoted as the new Mel Brooks musical, Young Frankenstein. And it is a musical with a book by himself and Thomas Meehan, uh, the same team that actually put together the producers. And the music and the lyrics are all done by Mel Brooks. It's based on the 1974 comedy film of the same name, which was written by Brooks and Gene Wilder, and directed by Brooks, who has himself described it as, in his own opinion, his best film. It's a parody of the horror film genre, especially uh, referencing the 1931 Universal Pictures adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and its 1939 sequel, Son of Frankenstein. Now, Mel Brooks and Thomas Meehan began work on the project in April of 2006. In October of that year, a reading of the first draft of the script, directed by Susan Stroman, uh, featured Brian Darcy James as Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, I love him. Kristen Chenoweth as Elizabeth, Sutton Foster as Inga, Roger Bart as Igor, Mark Kudish as Inspector Kemp, and Shula Hensley as the monster. He did a fantastic job, too. Cloris Leachman, reprising her film role as Frau Blücher, also attended the table read, and at the time it was uh, widely reported that she would be offered the role for the stage show, but gossip columnist Liz Smith reported that Leachman was sent a letter informing her that she wouldn't be considered for the Broadway production because the producers wanted to keep the film and the stage properties separate. And also because Mel Brooks's concerns over Cloris Leachman's ability to perform the character consistently at her age. Right. Despite this, due to Leachman's outstanding success on Dancing with the Stars that year, Brooks reportedly asked her to reprise her role as Frau Brücke after Beth Levell was due to leave the production, but uh, the production closed before she was ever able to take up that role. Mm. Right, so let's go through the story. I just wanted to add that in there because uh, Cloris Leachman's role in the film was absolutely amazing. She, oh, she was one of the standouts of the film. Yeah. Okay. But the, the film is full of standouts. You know, you've got Gene Wilder, you've got Madeleine Kahn, you've got Cloris Leachman, you've got uh, Marty Feldman, a whole list of people in that film who uh, were just outstanding. Anyway, let's get to the story. This is the original version because I'll tell you a bit later on that the story, the um, construction of the show was changed when it got to the UK. But this is the original version, all right? It's 1934, and Victor Frankenstein, uh, the mad scientist of legend, has died and left everything to his grandson, Frederick, who is the Dean of Anatomy at New York's Johns Miriam and Anthony Hopkins School of Medicine, and wants nothing to do with the family's notorious legacy. Frederick is embarrassed to be a Frankenstein, insisting that his name should be pronounced Frankenstein and that he is not a madman, but a scientist. I have one question, Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. I beg your pardon? My name, it's pronounced Frankenstein. 
But aren't you the grandson of the famous Dr. Victor Frankenstein, who went into graveyards, dug up freshly buried corpses, and transformed dead components into... Yes! 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 We all know what he did. But I'd rather be remembered for my own small contributions to science, and not because of my accidental relationship to a famous... cuckoo. <laughs> That, of course, was the great Gene Wilder from the movie. And I wanted to play that just to give some context and also a feel for how the movie sort of rolled along. It was a very uh, Mel Brooksian approach to the Was it the canned laughter that you hear there? No, that was uh, Frankenstein was uh, doing a, um, a lecture. Oh, and so right. all of these are medical students in the background. Oh, so they're right, there, so they're, right, they're right, right. Reacting, see it, sorry. But that is one of the recurring gags that he keeps correcting people and saying, no, my name is Frankenstein. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So after learning that he has, in fact, inherited his grandfather's castle in Transylvania, he's forced to resolve the issue of the property. And arriving at Transylvania Heights, Frederick meets the hunchback Igor, who once he hears that the Frankenstein wants to be called Frankenstein, he says, no, my name is Igor. <laughs> <laughs> That's another one of those rolling gags. Um, Igor is the grandson of Victor's henchman who was overjoyed to meet Frederick, and he tries to convince him to continue in his granddad's footsteps. He also has already hired the services of Inga, a yodeling lab assistant with a degree in laboratory science from the local community college. After a wagon ride to Castle Frankenstein, they meet the mysterious Frau Bucher. <laughs> And every time her name is said out loud, that's the reaction you get. It spooks the horses. Right. So don't say her name again. Once inside the castle's main living room, Frederick falls asleep and dreams that his grandfather and ancestors encourage him to build a monster. He's awakened by Inga and they, followed shortly by Igor, find the secret entrance to his grandfather's laboratory behind a bookcase by following eerie violin music. They discover that the mysterious violin player is none other than Frau Blücher, I won't play the horses again, who tells of her past with the late Victor, for whom she was more than just a housekeeper. This is where the song, He Fast My Boyfriend, comes in. She was his, his girlfriend. <laughs> After reviewing his grandfather's notes, Frederick decides to carry on the experiments in the reanimation of the dead and asks Igor to find a large corpse as well as the brain of a scholar. Igor returns with the brain but drops it. Secretly replacing it with another one Frederick creates the creature Who goes on a violent rampage Shortly after waking up And the doctor is dismayed to find That Igor had provided a different brain Whose name he recalls as Abby Abby Normal (laughs) (laughs) See that this is the style of the jokes All the way through Inspector Kemp and the townspeople come to the castle to investigate, pretending to welcome Frederick. Frederick and his employees try to stall the villagers while Frau Blücher (laughs) frees the monster without letting Frederick know. Panic ensues as the monster breaks free from the stage and runs through the audience. Intermission. Now, Act okay. 2. Act 2. The town begins to search for the monster, with Frau Blücher trying to bring him back with music from her violin, but to no avail. Inga talks to the anxious doctor. Frau Blücher and Igor find the two suspended on the platform, completing what Igor refers to as an experiment in female anatomy. <laughs> then Frederick's New York girlfriend, Elizabeth, arrives unexpectedly in Transylvania with a large entourage and finds Frederick and Inga, both in a state of undress, who tell her that no funny business was taking place. We do meet Elizabeth in Act 1, but I just slid past that bit at the beginning. Too much, too much detail. Meanwhile, the monster finds a blind hermit named Harold after breaking through the wall of his house. 
Eventually, after Harold accidentally pours hot soup into the monster's lap and lights his thumb, mistaking it as a cigar, the monster is pained into another wild rampage and leaves. Frederick locks himself in a room with the monster, and after overcoming his fears, he tells the monster that he is a handsome man who is loved and will be hailed by all. The creature is presented at Lowe's Transylvanian Theatre, now dressed as a gentleman, first walking on command and then dancing to Irvin Berlin's Putting on the Ritz. While taking his bow, though, the creature is scared when some stage lights explode. Elizabeth is kidnapped by the creature and is taken to a cave where he forces himself on her. However, she is now seeing a different side of him and discovers that she's been yearning for something different for most of her life and finds it here luring the monster back to the castle by the music of a French horn Frederick attempts to intelligence transfer sort of like a mind meld sure but the monster doesn't wake up and to make things worse Inspector Kemp and the angry villagers believing that Elizabeth has been killed by the monster break into the castle and bring Frederick to the gallows the doctor is hanged after finally accepting his family name oh heck the monster returns, not only able to speak articulately, but also, using his newly transferred medical skills, discovers that Frederick is not dead but merely unconscious and is able to revive him. Just as the crowd is about to rehang Frederick oh, and the monster, Elizabeth arrives with the bride of Frankenstein-type hairdo. The monster proposes to Elizabeth, and a happy ending is ahead for all as the moon shines high on the newly engaged Doctor and Inga. Okay. So it kind of wraps up. I know I've abridged things rather a lot there just to so get a to, lot the, more to, to the end of the story. There is more to it, but, you know, I could be here for another half hour giving you all the ins and outs of the storyline, but that's basically it. Sure. You have to have a happy ending at the end, so then you have the curtain. All right, let's look back on the history of this particular show. The pre-Broadway tryout played at the Paramount Theatre in Seattle, Washington through August of 2007, and previews began on Broadway in October of that year, opening in November at the Lyric Theatre, which was then called the Hilton Theatre. It closed on January the 4th, 2009, after 485 performances. Not overly successful, but okay. Mm -hmm. Directed and choreographed by Susan Stroman, it starred Roger Bart as Frankenstein, apparently fantastic job. Megan Mullally as uh, Elizabeth. She, well, you probably know her name from the Will and Grace TV series. Oh. Christopher Fitzgerald as Igor. Sutton Foster as Inga. She was fantastic. Andrea Martin as Frau Blücher. Shula Hensley as the monster. And Fred Applegate as Inspector Kemp. And also plays the part of Harold. The production had a reported $16 million plus budget and a top ticket price of $450 in its differential seating. It also sold front row tickets for $25 each based on a lottery a few hours before each performance. And the producers indicated that they planned to buck usual Broadway practice by not reporting box office returns. Yeah. The musical's original cast album that we're listening to today was released on December 26, 2007 and was third on the Billboard Top Cast Album chart in the beginning of January 2008. It was some time before it got to the UK. It made its UK premiere eight years later at the Newcastle Theatre Royal from August 26 to September the 9th before transferring to London's West End at the Garrick Theatre where it began previews on September the 28th and opened on October the 10th. And the production was directed and choreographed once again by Susan Stroman. This production was a substantially reworked version of the Broadway one and featured changes to some of the lyrics and the book by Brooks and Meehan. Uh, for example, the um, Transylvanian lullaby theme from the original film by John Morris was brought into the stage production and used right throughout as a theme during the overture and a couple of key songs and also as the exit music. Uh, 
And some songs and scenes were cut all together, including the original opening number, which was called The Happiest Town, plus the song Join the Family Business, which was part of the dream sequence I mentioned earlier. And so that meant that the whole dream sequence that Frederick had where he was encouraged by his ancestors to carry on his grandfather's work, that just went completely out the door, along with two other songs. To balance things out a bit, Brooks wrote some additional new numbers too. The production is probably most notably reworked to allow it to be accommodated in more intimate venues like the Garrick Theatre so that it uh, works more like a vaudeville piece rather than the larger scaled Broadway production that uh, you'll see lots of clips of on, on YouTube. By all accounts, the changes improved the show immensely, and that seems to be the one that people gravitate towards these days is the London version. Is that the one that gets licensed when people put it on? I'm not sure if you can actually opt for either, but the London one is the one that seems to get most traction because it obviously is a tighter production, seems to make, uh, they've cut out some of the fat yeah. and uh, made the narrative a lot more uh, I've heard of that a lot happening. more easy to follow. Yeah, I've heard of that happening quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, moving to London. And really interesting that uh, Susan Stroman uh, was the original director and choreographer on Broadway. She brought those skills to the West End, and um, she would otherwise, I would think, have um, a major say in the fact that things needed to change. Yeah. The original London cast recording, uh, which I wish we were listening to, actually features 23 tracks. It was released on August the 10th, 2018, and was recorded live over several performances, although it's labelled the original London cast recording the album features Nick Greenshields as the monster who replaced uh, Shula Hensley in the cast. A UK tour was announced at the same time uh, for late 2019 but this never happened and no explanation was ever given for that. The West End production closed on August the 25th 2018 after 11 months and lastly this version was to be used as the basis of a live broadcast event on the ABC network in the US during the last quarter of 2020 uh, with Brooks producing that but that was obviously scuttled by COVID and there's been no update on that that I can detect anyway. Bugger. Let's talk about how it was received. Uh, the production generally got mixed critical reviews and was often compared to the producers. This is the US production. Ben Brantley of the New York Times called it an overblown burlesque review, right down to its giggly smuttiness. Mr. Brooks's songs have a throwaway quality as if they were dashed off on the day of the performance, mm, which brilliant. is a little bit damning. Yeah. But uh, the New York Post gave it a more positive review, saying that the show is nearly very good indeed and that Brooks and Stroman pull out every stop. Despite music that's more ho-hum than hummable, Brooks's lyrics are bright and witty. Better yet, the book does a great job with the assistance of co-writers uh, of co-writer Thomas Meehan in transferring the original script to the stage. The production run won a Broadway Audience Award for Favourite New Broadway Musical. So there's the audience's reaction. And I must say that the script for the stage show is really, really close to the movie. If you're a fan of the movie, everything is in there, pretty much. When describing the audience's reaction, Mel Brooks said, I love what they do. The audience knows young Frankenstein, the movie. They didn't know the producers. They all neigh when anyone on stage says Frau Blücher, and they can't wait for the blind hermit to spill the hot soup on the monster's lap. It's great to see the audience playing ping-pong with the actors. And, you know, that reminds me a bit about um, the kind of interaction that you get when audiences go to see the Rocky Horror Show. Mm. They do it at the movies and also uh, when the stage show is live. It's they come along the expecting it. Yeah, they yell out and they do all that. And I can see the same sort of things happening with sure. this. In fact, let's hear a bit about the show from Mel Brooks himself. The film is the film and they never were intended to sing or dance 
or do any kind of production number or spectacle. And a Broadway musical means, you know, they got to sing and dance, and they got to really be good at both, and then they've got to be funny, too. I was there last night. The place was jammed at the Hilton Theater. People stood up when the, when the ensemble came out, even before the principals. First row stood up. Once the first row stands up, standing ovation. I mean, you know, it was great. They liked the show. They've, the audience, the New York audiences have been very, very responsive. They get little crazy jokes, they get subtle jokes, they get all kinds of, you know. And it was Gene Wilder's idea while we were making Blazing Saddles. He said, how about doing Young Frankenstein? I said, what? He said, you know, Freddie, young Freddie Frankenstein who, who decides, he hates his grandfather's, and he changes his name to Frankenstein. I said, I love it. And he doesn't want to be, I said, but the blood comes up. It comes through. He is a von Frankenstein. Said, yeah. So I said, okay, let's do that. You make a movie. You work very hard. It takes a year and a half to write it. It takes a year to film it and edit it. And maybe another couple of months to release it. You're, wait, you're waiting two years for your first laugh, you know. And then, and then if, 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 if it's, you, you see it in the daytime, there's three people in the audience, you know, you go to the theater, whether it's a matinee or evening performance, the house is packed, you're paid in full, with laughter, with applause. With, I didn't get into it for money. I probably would have segued into hedge funds if I just wanted to get money. I went into it for the love of theater, for the love of comedy, for the love of music, and, and the love of the, the event, the experience. Broadway is, 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 uh, is your payment for suffering, for living, for, for enduring. I mean, Broadway is the best. There's nothing like a Broadway show. Nothing like a Broadway show. Great comment. So I love that. Nothing yeah. like a Broadway show. I love what he says about theatre, about the impact of live performance, and his love of theatre is what drives what he does. Also interesting that he gives Jim Wilder a bit of credit for coming up with the idea that this was something they should look at back when they were filming Bla Blazing Saddles. Well, they'll be old, old friends surely yeah, now. Yeah, gosh, yeah. Well, Jim well, Wilder's no longer yeah, with us, yeah. but, um, yeah, Mel Brooks has uh, always been very good at um, sharing... Um, you know, the credit for stuff that he's collaborated with. The West End production did much better with critics than the Broadway one, um, probably thanks to the rewrites and the extra stuff that was, um, you know, shifted around. Even received four to five star ratings from whatsonstage.com, The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph and The London Evening Standard. In 2008, the show was nominated for three Tony Awards, five Drama Desk Awards, five Art of Critics Circle Awards, two Drama League Awards and a Grammy for the cast soundtrack. Out of all of that, it won only the Art of Critics Circle Award for Best Musical. The 2018 West End production earned three Olivia Awards, including Best New Musical, but it had no wins from that. And that, as they say, is all he had to say about that, except for one thing I want to add. Mm. It's my humble opinion... Uh, that if you are a fan of the 1974 movie, I very strongly recommend that if you ever, ever, ever get to see this musical being staged somewhere, do make sure you try to see it. Oh, that's a very high recommendation, actually. Well, I, as I mentioned before, with all its familiar 
sort of lines, it's quotable quotes, it's gags that run through. I see audiences having as much fun seeing it on stage as they would uh, watching the movie. And, and so many echoes of the Rocky Horror Show experience. I think it would be a real hoot to do. I think it would be a real hoot to go and see. Okay. And like I said, the music's not all that memorable. And you sure. can tell that from what we've played today. It's, yeah. it's, it's show tunes. Yeah. But I think in context, you know, he's, he's delivered something that people relate to and, and fans of the movie will love this show. You'll have a good time. You'll have a laugh. Guaranteed. Go see it. All right. Well, I'm keeping my eye out for it. Someone do it. It's been said that your grandfather brought the tissue back to life. Is that true, Dr. Frankenstein? It's been said that your grandfather created a horrifying monster. Is that true, Dr. Frankenstein? It's been said, nay, even some, that your grandfather's monster hurt and lamed, killed and maimed. Is that true, Dr. Frankenstein? Is that true, Dr. Frankenstein? Is that true, Dr. Frankenstein? Is that true? Is that true? Is that true? Is that true, that true? Dr. Frankenstein? That's Frankenstein. My name. It's pronounced Frankenstein. Yes, yes. The whole world knows what my grandfather did. But please, do I look like the kind of madman who'd prowl around graveyards digging up freshly buried corpses? Well, Professor... Don't answer that. I'm not a Frankenstein. I don't indulge in hijinks or tomfoolery. I'm not a Frankenstein. I don't believe in mummies, ghosts, or ghoulery. I deal in facts, not fiction. I am a scientist. I live for truth and reason. That's the reason I exist. There is a vast difference between my crazy grandfather's delusional experiments and my own devotion to pure science, which leads us directly to the subject of today's lecture. The brain. There is nothing like the brain. Hearts and lungs are simply dinker toys when stacked against the brain. Insane, I'm insane about the brain. No invention in the universe is equal to the brain. The mouth's a marvel when it comes to eating. I've nothing against the womb. I thank the bladder when I'm excreting, and I always give the elbow room. But the brain, please allow me to explain. There's no organ can compare to it. I swear to it, it's plain. It's the brain. Mr. Hilltop here, with whom I have never worked nor given any prior instruction to, has graciously offered his services for this afternoon's demonstration. His medulla oblongata tells his brainstem that it's gotta send an impulse full of data, which creates a lot of pain. His frontal lobe gets busy with a thought that makes him dizzy, puts his cortex in a tizzy, so he never will complain. That's what I love about the brain. Mr. Hilltop, will you raise your left knee, please? You have just witnessed a voluntary nerve impulse. Mr. Hilltop, you may lower your knee. Reflex movements, on the other hand, are those which are made independently of the will. My, you dirty, rotten, yellow son of a bitch! Oh! Even though I almost need him, his reflexes have no freedom to react. When I mistreat him, it's important, I explain. Synaptic nerve connection goes its way without detection, bringing cranial protection in a never-ending chain. That's what I love about the brain. 
But what if we were to block those nerve impulses by simply applying local pressure, which can be done with any ordinary metal clamp, just at the swelling at the posterior nerve roots for, say, oh, four seconds. Why, you mother-grabbing bastard! As you can see, even though I have just smashed my knee into his crotch, he does not react. He feels absolutely nothing. More or less. So, if it were not for this continuous stream of motor impulses from the brain, we would collapse like a bunch of broccoli! And in conclusion, so there's no confusion, let me say it once again. Though your genitalia has been known to fail you, you can bet your ass on the brain! Everybody! Copernicus, Kepler, and Newton, compare me to Freud, and I feel highfalutin. Call me a Darwin, I love that man's theory. Call me Pasteur and watch me get hairy. Say, Madame Curie, that would be the best. Call me a Rorschach, come up to the test. I really light up when you call me Edison. Call me an air like I like that man's medicine. Call me Marconi, that wireless wow. Call me Popoff, and I bark like a child. Wolf, call me an Einstein, and that would be fine. Call me a Tesla, I wouldn't decline. But to call me a Frankenstein would be insane. Cause I You're backstage with Mel and Mike, and thank you to our friends at Free of Him and Creative Waikato for making backstage possible, by the by. That song you just heard was The Brain. Our musical of the week is Young Frankenstein, and if you missed me talking your ear off about it a few minutes ago, you can catch the podcast of today's episode on any of your favourite streaming apps. That you can. We are now at the part of the day where we drag out our calendars to mark any changed dates, any reschedules, and everything that is still coming up around the place soonish. I forgot we hadn't done this yet. All right, let's do this. At the Meteor, the Boil Up Productions uh, Junior, written and directed by Connor Maxwell, on from the 22nd to the 26th of this month. Elsie, written, directed and choreographed by Lily Epsom on the 7th to the 9th of October. Rescheduled Kashu by Linda Chanwai Earl is on October the 18th. Atamira, written and performed by Henerangi Maria Berryman on the 20th to the 22nd of October. And the last boil-up one we have is Wish I Was There, written and performed by James Smith from the 2nd to the 5th of November. Also, Drag Up Your Life, presented by Miss California, is on October the 23rd. And look out for Assassins by Bold Theatre, that's coming up December the 10th to the 18th. Woo! Uh, at Clarence Street Theatre, there is nothing in the way of theatre coming up. Friends the Musical has been cancelled. That was due to go to stage on October 1st. And To Miki Tui has also been cancelled, presented by tour makers. And I suspect that's because they are in Auckland. Yeah. Reveille Theatre has Mamma Mia presented by Hamilton Musical Theatre scheduled for the 10th to the 31st of October and Back to the 80s directed by Glenn Matthews opening in November At Navarra Lounge uh, they are keeping their thumb on the pulse as to whether or not they can go ahead with things The Headbangers Retreat is their next event on Saturday September the 25th They also have Your Asumaru and Ozzy Oza with special guest Arua uh, on Saturday October the 2nd and Ben Gaze is supported by Betend Rocket that's on Thursday October the 7th. Orangeville Theatre are rehearsing all together now. That's on stage in November, 12th to the 15th. At the Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, they're in rehearsals for Aladdin, a pantomime that's going, st- hopefully still going to stage in November. 
And Mata Mata, the Dramatic Society have at the sign of the Crippled Harlequin by Norman Robbins, opening November 27th, running to December the 4th. And Mata Mata Musical Theatre are still rehearsing A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Show dates for that, 11th to the 20th of November. Over in Mike's hometown, Putaruru, the theatre players there are in rehearsal for Christmas production Moonshine. That goes to stage in November as well. Just up the road at Tokoroa. Uh, Tokoro Little Theatre in rehearsal for No Regrets, the musical written and directed by Sonia Winikeri on stage in November. Thames Music and Drama, hopefully also in rehearsal for All Together Now, hopefully going to a stage in October, uh, November. Tauranga Musical Theatre in the same boat. Their version of All Together Now will happen as well. Tauranga's 16th Avenue Theatre is in rehearsal for The Revlong Girl, directed by Geraldine Broderick, 15th to the 30th of October for that. And Detour Theatre have rescheduled Sherlock Holmes' The Adventure of the Speckled Band to 18th of November to the 4th of December. Auckland Theatre Company have cancelled their, their return by popular demand season of the Haka Party incident, uh, which was due to go to stage uh, on the 2nd of October, but they are still crossing their fingers to go to stage with Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward on from November the 9th to the 28th. Upcoming auditions and opportunities? Auditions for Hamilton Musical Theatre's Summer Broadway Junior Season of Beauty and the Beast Junior have been rescheduled to the 22nd to the 25th, but check out the Hamilton Musical Theatre Facebook page if you'd like some information on how to book for that. There have been more casualties thanks to COVID, and with any luck, yeah, there won't be too many more. Fingers crossed, eh? Yeah. If there are, though, let us know if you want us to help spread the word, or if you've got something that's definitely going ahead, we're just as keen to hear about that. So give us a chance to highlight it. Email backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com. Or just let us know when you see us next or when you see us online or if you know our numbers, give us a call. <laughs> just give us a call because we always pick up our phones. Uh, man, time flies when you're having fun. I'm not ready for it to be over yet. No, me neither. Every trip out of the house at the moment is still an adventure and so we're very much enjoying the time we get to spend in your ears. It's great to be back in the studio with Mel. Oh, isn't um, it? So hopefully we can continue doing that. Yeah, don't jinx it, don't jinx it. We're not talking about it. Uh, <laughs> thank you for getting us into Free FM's Top 15 Most Listened To podcasts. Yeah. Thanks, Mike, for bringing us Musical of the Week. Thanks, Creative Waikato, as you've mentioned, for sponsoring us. And thank you, COVID, for getting lost and staying on the path to disappearing <laughs> so we can keep talking about and doing a whole lot of theatre. Yeah, that may be overstating the case, but, you know, we're feeling good about the fact that, you know, we are going to come through the other side of this. Don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Head over to Instagram, you'll find Backstage Podcast NZ there, where Mel will be sharing today's episode, plus our musical of the week on our story. I have been Mike, she has been Mel. You have been Backstage. You have. We're leaving you today with Putting on the Ritz from Musical of the Week, Young Frankenstein. Stay safe out there. Keep signing in with the COVID app. And stay classy, theatre nerds. See you. I am Paul Blucher. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes and cutaway coat, perfect fits. Put on a Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying hard to look like Gary Cooper. Come, let's mix with Rockefellers, walk with sticks or umbrellas in their midst. 
to do Up and down Park Avenue On that famous thoroughfare With their noses in the air High hats and arrow collars White spats and lots of dollars Spending every dime For a wonderful time If you're blue and you don't know where to go to Why don't you go where the fashion sits? Putting on the ritz. Different types who wear a day coat, prints with stripes and cutaway coats are perfect fits. Ha cha 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 cha! Putting on the ritz. Take it! Last words before we string you up, Dr. Frankenstein. Just this. Though my time on earth is done, though I face this angry crowd, though I'm hated and despised of one thing, I can say I'm proud. This is truly mine. 
I'm a man who has no shame in shouting out his family name. I am a Frankenstein. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices. Or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.